0: Welcome to another episode of the Faith, Work, Rest podcast. Our mission is to help people discern their vocations and reimagine their occupation for the good of their neighbor and the glory of God. We're part of the Surge Network. It's a network of local churches united to put Jesus on display in their community. You can learn more at surgenetwork.com.
1: All right, well, welcome everyone to the Faith, Work, and Rest podcast. This is uh, Jim Mullins. I'm here with Lauren Kutzko and Kimberly Dekel. Uh, We're deciding to change things up a little bit today. First of all, We're not doing our normal intro because we realize that we duplicate the intro sometimes. So we're just (laughs) rolling with it, having a new voice started off, which would be mine. And what we're doing today is a little different. We're going to take a break from the podcast for about a month while we really focus on our coaching process, our career coaching process. And we thought before we take that break, we would do a couple of podcasts that give you an overview of the things that we do in that process. And so, uh, first of all, we would say, if you want to be a part of that process, reach out to us. We'll be kicking it off um, this summer. June 15th is what we're aiming for. There are a lot of components to it, but at the end of the day, the main thing that we are trying to do is to help you form a vocation plan that helps you discern your vocation, reimagine the mundane aspects of work, and get healthy rhythms of Sabbath rest in it. Uh, as well. Um, so, what we're going to do today is we're talking about uh, a number of assessments that Lauren uh, can take us through. And um, these are assessments that will help us out in the career coaching. These are scientifically significant uh, assessments from TTI, uh really well-known, uh, respected um, group uh, who's put some work into these assessments. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask Lauren some questions, me and Kimberly, we're going to ask Lauren some questions about this process, and he's going to give you an overview. And Kimberly and I, we've both been through it, so we'll probably share some stories about how it shaped us. So just before we start launching in and giving a bunch of questions to Lauren, Kimberly, what would you say, just off the top of your head, have been um, a couple key things how this has been helpful?
2: Yeah, so... I'd say there's, I'll I'll stick with a couple for sure, but there's been a lot. One of the things that I think has been most helpful is just that I, I took this right before I moved into a new position with Surge and like with a new organization. Mm-hmm. And so I think like while it would be helpful to do this, like at any point kind of in a career or in a job position, it was especially helpful kind of from the beginning. And then I think the fact that like our team, like everybody who works for Surge has taken it. And that Danae, the executive director of Surge, like really looks to this as a tool to help understand like how she, like how she operates and then how she operates with each of us. Like I've just seen the fruits of that because I've had jobs where, you know, that type of thing, like how people operate, behaviors, driving forces, things like that aren't taken into consideration and it works. Okay. You know, but I think just seeing the benefits of how I think more efficient we are, um, just the communication's better. there's so many things that have been really good about it. Hmm. and then I've learned a lot about myself from it, and I've definitely taken lots of assessments in my time and so some of the things felt like, yeah, like I knew that that this is is not necessarily new to me, but there's been a few things that it's just helped me better articulate, and one of those is even kind of around almost like my le- leadership style, and I've always <clears throat> said that I don't really think of myself as a leader and and I think that like God has kind of revealed to me that that it's more the the way that I lead is maybe different than like traditionally how we see leaders. And when I got to sit down and go over this um, whole assessment, looking that like my the way that I lead being typically kind of like right under the leader, and that I lead more like kind of behind the scenes, and that made so much sense to me and just really clicked and was like yes, like that makes sense. Those are the types of roles that work well for me, where um like my giftings can be used as is kind of that, like, just behind the scenes, helping with a lot of the details. And things like, that. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: yeah, that sounds great. Lauren, can you give us an overview of what these assessments are? For sure. Yeah, so,
0: uh, Jim, you mentioned TTI, the company that puts these out. Basically, they measure five different things, five different kind of ways that people work. Um, they measure uh, behaviors. They measure uh, driving forces or why we do what we do, um, skills, what we're good at acumen or worldview, how we understand the world, and emotional intelligence. Uh, And when we use different assessments for different reasons. So we do a lot of work, uh, as Kimberly was just talking about, with teams um, to help teams work together effectively or to help teams identify um, an an empty role or a vacancy on the team and then identify a good fit to add somebody to that team. Um, But when we're talking one-on-one, which is sort of the context or the scope of this, which uh, when you've got someone that we want to help discern a vocation or reimagine their occupation... Um, these can be really useful. And so we've kind of assembled three of those sciences that are most helpful when someone's kind of in a career transition spot. So this particular blending or integration of assessments is is the behaviors, how we do what we do, the driving forces, why we do what we do, and then the competencies or soft skills, which is what we're good at. Um, hmm. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it makes a ton of sense. Now, this isn't something you've just stumbled upon uh, and you're just dabbling in. You've been doing this for a while. Can you tell us your background with how, you, uh, how you've how you been using these assessments over the last several years?
0: Yeah, so uh, that's a that's a great question. You know, I'd say my overall experience with just kind of self-assessment, it, I've for some reason always been drawn to these things. I remember when we planted a church in 2003, somebody came in and kind of helped us understand, you know, our lion, otter, golden retriever, beaverness you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. and uh, early on in, in my marriage, I remember my wife and I both really getting a lot of value out of talking about Myers-Briggs and how we were different from that. It was part of our premarital counseling. And I haven't like sat around a fire and talked with friends uh, in a long time without Enneagram coming up. So just kind of this idea that it's better to be aware of what's going on inside um, than just kind of rolling through life with blinders on I guess is to me I think the essence of these things and that's always just been something that I've personally enjoyed I know a lot of people who don't enjoy that though Um, and and you know that's just so it's not necessarily that you know that everybody kind of has to do this but I think to some degree is even as Kimberly's talking about when you have a leader or a boss somebody who's willing to open up and look inside and see their own style, the way that they communicate, the way that they operate, and then also want to do that with the people who work for them. You're talking about a different level of leader where self-awareness is a priority. Those are the kind of leaders you want to follow. And then when you've got people on your team who are also doing that kind of work, those are the kind of people you want to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's uh, my, my business doing this started in 2015, I think, where we started coaching people one-on-one. Um, and we've talked to hundreds of people that have that are in career transition, helping them use this information about themselves um, to then start to think about what kinds of roles they'll fit in, what kinds of businesses will, will be a good fit for them to own, what kind of roles will be a good fit for them to operate in. Um, and so it's been, yeah, about four years and hundreds of one-on-ones
1: yeah so this is a big 48 page report when it comes out Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really helpful information what what training or background do you have to help people interpret what's in there
0: yeah uh so tti you know that that's a big part of what they do as a company so they've been around since the early 80s um and they they actually don't invent many of those five sciences Mm. so behaviors has been around since the 1920s um driving forces in one form as motivators came out also in the 1920s. And, and we'll see that's uh, Myers and Briggs kind of had a similar time frame, right? There was a lot of psychological progress that was made in the early 20th century. A lot of stuff came out. And then emotional intelligence is a little bit more recent in the 90s. Uh, so a lot of these things come out and then TTI, what TTI does is they basically put a lot of statisticians to work testing people and then making sure that nothing skews for gender, making sure it doesn't skew for ethnicity or language or things like that. Part of what that does is allows us to use them for hiring without breaking the law, right? Mm -hmm. So there's equal employment law. Um, There's certain classes that are protected. And so these things can be used by um, a business or a church team or a nonprofit to find and select people without being at risk of sort of being up against those uh, Department of Labor types of issues. But the other thing that TTI really does is, you know, like you said, they put a lot into developing these resources and then training the coaches and consultants who are certified and trained to deliver these. So, you know, it's probably about, um, I don't know, eight or 10 live hours plus other kind of reading hours for behavior certification and then similar for driving forces and then emotional intelligence similar so they have kind of different amounts of training for each of the the assessments depending on how deep they are and what you need to know
1: and and so you're certified in, in those things yeah
0: yeah i have certification in behaviors driving forces and emotional intelligence
1: so why why am i so sad right now do you have the uh, emotional intelligence?
0: I'm certified to deliver it. It doesn't mean I have it. <laughs> I'm just
1: kidding. Jim's yeah. <laughs> uh, so not really sad right now. No, I'm just not really, really sad, sad right now. I'm yeah, not. You look more embarrassed if anything else. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's, you are emotionally intelligent.
0: Let me just do a quick overview of kind of what those three things mean because yeah. I glazed over it and sure. I kind of went quickly. but. You know, behaviors uh, is commonly referred to as DISC, so that's kind of the the nickname that it's gotten. Um, that's because there's four major ways that uh, we've observed that humans behave. The first one is how people respond to problems and challenges. So that's the D. Mm-hmm. That stands for dominance, and it's basically do they move forcefully and directly towards problems and challenges, or are they more hesitant? Um, and, and prudent when, they're in, when they encounter problems and challenges. So a big thing with behaviors, and, and to some degree, I think this is what behaviors and driving forces and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram have in common. They're not about saying good or bad. You're good or you're bad. These are neutral things that are about helping you understand different ways of working. So the, the D is how you respond to problems and challenges. The I stands for influence, and it's how, uh, how we influence others to our point of view. Mm-hmm. So, someone who's very high eye will be very influential and optimistic and use their hands a lot when they talk because again, this is behavioral um, and somebody who's a real low eye will be more standoffish and logical and skeptical and untrusting. um Again, not good or bad, um, just things to kind of that you can observe in people's behavior if you're sitting at the airport mm-hmm. watching people walk around, you can sort of see oh some of them move fast, some of them move slow, they behave differently. The S stands for steadiness, um, and it's about how people respond to the pace of the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. So people with a real high S score will prefer a steady pace. They'll prefer to go a little bit slower and have control over the pace, whereas a real low S will be mobile and active um, and move around a lot and like to change things. Uh, and then C stands for compliance, um, and it's all about how we respond to rules and procedures that are set by others. Um, so a high C likes rules, uh, and a lower C kinds to avoid them and rebel against them Mm -hmm. um so that's that's how behaviors work driving forces is a different psychological uh, assessment and science
1: before before we move to driving forces let's Uh can we talk a little bit about behaviors yeah let's do that uh why why is it important to know to have that level of self-awareness on those things you know what i mean like why would it be important to know for example the pace at which mm-hmm. you you work uh, yeah. best. Yeah. yeah
0: that's a great question. I mean, you know, my sort of sarcastic answer is why not, but um <laughs> but I think you know, I think a lot of times what leads to some of these conversations is there's something wrong. And while I really don't think that low job satisfaction Is a direct indicator that you're in the wrong spot. I don't Mm. think that that's necessarily God saying you're you need to change careers because you you have low job satisfaction. Um, But I do think it's a good thing to pay attention to and be curious about. And I think some of this just provides you the data to say we've pulled thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, um, and this is the way that people behave, and this is how I behave. And now I know this about myself. Behavior leads a lot to uh, communication. So one of the things that we see with one person as they relate to another person is they'll get into communication conflicts. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned slow versus fast. It's one of the things that's really common is when you've got someone that tends to make decisions very quickly and communicate those decisions very directly and forcefully. And then you've got a high S or a high C that likes to take their time and be more analytical and think about things. They'll be in conflict. And what will happen without looking at this data is that they'll just sort of believe the other person doesn't fit here mm-hmm. in this culture, on this team, with me. But by looking at this, what it helps you do is appreciate and value how people can be different, how God's yeah. created people different from you and actually go, well, maybe I don't want a bunch of people on my team who just look like me and behave like me. Maybe I want to complement my own style. Um, so communication is a big one. And then not only is there a lack of fit um, or or conflict between one person and another person but you can also have conflict between myself and the role that I'm in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, so when you think about workplace stress you think about how our stress rises and falls throughout the day doing different things a lot of times stress is a result of a behavioral mismatch with a position or a role yeah Um, so for example if I measure high on organized workplace Mm -hmm. um, but then I'm in a position where that's not important or things are always very disorganized. I don't have the opportunity to stay organized. I'll feel stress. As a manager, once I know that about somebody on my team, I can create more space for them to de-stress. As a person learning this about myself in a career transition, I can look for roles where I'm going to have the opportunity to keep things organized because I know that that's important to me. That's how I behave.
1: Yeah. No, it reminds me of someone I... have had some conversations with who works for a publishing company Mm -hmm. and they love books they love conceptual thinking and analyzing ideas so they thought that this would be a perfect role for them Mm -hmm. but the pace of the expectations and how they work at that particular publishing company isn't this slow methodical Mm -hmm. read through books talk Mm -hmm. about ideas but it's more about cranking some things out and so it's not just I think that could be really helpful for people who are wrestling with career stuff. It's not just like, I love books, so I'm going to move into publishing, but paying attention to the environment uh, that you're moving into, that could be just as important. Absolutely. And
2: I, I like how, like I think Lauren, you touched on this, how the idea that, right, like none of the things are like bad or good, right? It's kind of this neutral thing because I think that it can be really easy like in the workplace to be too um, you know, the the feeling of like competition or like, this is how this workplace operates. And if I can't operate at like this pace or exactly how they do it, then that somehow like defines my like self-worth or I must be a bad employee. But a lot of times I mean, it has to do with like us having like different strengths and weaknesses and that's not good or bad. And there could be ways too that the workplace could adapt. And, and I love the idea of it being something too, or like when you're thinking of, um, a team, like having people who complement each other. Yep. Wow. Well. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah and um, the goal, so maybe we should talk about the goal a little bit, but the goal yeah. of these things is to understand myself, yeah. understand others, and then adapt. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you want to change yourself, mm-hmm. right? But you want to be able to be aware of an environment or a situation that you're in or a person that you're going to be with. And, um, you know, the TTI is not a Christian organization necessarily. They're not putting these things out for these reasons. But from my standpoint, love. Like we're called yeah. to love one another. And how do I know how to love somebody? Well, now I've got 48 mm-hmm. pages, like you said, in front of me about their communication preferences. And I can deliberately decide to adapt myself to another person, to a role, to an environment, mm-hmm. to a situation in order to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that's just, it's just smart to be able to kind of know how, what's required um, and then to choose yeah. to adapt instead of just sort of feeling frustrated that I've been wired differently than some of the people around me because yeah. I, I mean that's that's not helpful
1: so in here you have some checklists some communication checklists uh, there were a few other checklists mm-hmm. uh, tell us about those and why those are important
0: yeah well so just to speak to the report for a second so ton of data right mm-hmm. you take this thing it takes 20 30 minutes maybe kicks mm-hmm. back a really long report we actually don't tend to give people their report unless they're sitting with Uh, Somebody who is trained to walk through it with them because it's just it's not necessarily designed to look at these things in black and white and just go, oh, boom, you know, sort of hit with a ton of bricks. This is me. Or we don't really like it when managers look at the reports of their team and start kind of making decisions about them. Mm -hmm. I think the point is to create a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you've got the person's perspective on themselves answering the questions mm-hmm. um, you've got TTI putting all the statistical reliability and validity behind it and then you've got a human conversation where you're able to listen to one another um, and kind of ask questions and, and dig deeper and you know these things aren't necessarily a hundred percent right every time and so through that conversation then you start to see oh okay this is how this is what the text in the report says but this is how this person experiences it So we tend to look for when we ask people, you know, how, uh, how close is this to you? We look Mm -hmm. for them to say, you know, somewhere between 70 and 90% and we -hmm. go, oh yeah, that's great. Now let's fill in the other 30 to 10, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 to 30% with your insights and stories about your own style. I want to hear from you, not just read about you. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And what's been helpful for me is it kind of gives language to things I've intuitively felt, Mm -hmm. but haven't known how to describe. Yep. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, before we move on, while we're talking about behaviors, Mm -hmm. you know, as followers of Christ, there are behaviors that are not neutral, they're good uh, or bad. And uh, how do we make sense of that with this that kind of treats behaviors as neutral?
0: Um, Would you be willing to give me an example of behaviors that you're thinking of?
1: Yeah, I saw one in here um, that I... It described me, and I'm like... I
2: was going to say, don't call me out, Jane. No, I'm not going to call you out, Kimberly. I'm going to call myself out, where
1: I was like, that's true? And I do not like that that is true. Yeah, um, yeah it says, uh, well, basically, that I like to to be in positions where I have authority and will have a tendency to be rebellious and challenge authority. That feels like parts of who I am That's needs to be sanctified and you know continually be put to death. but
0: Yeah. So I think that there's situations where rebellion can be bad and there's situations where rebellion can be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, but to your point, does it help to have that written out so that you know if I'm going to sacrifice a preference or if mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of lay down a behavioral ideal mm-hmm. on behalf of the team, The goal, the situation, a team member, is it helpful to kind of have to know this then and say, oh, the thing that I need to adapt is my initial desire, my gut reaction to rebel against authority?
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because,
0: and, you know, I mean, rebelling against God as our authority, our pastor as our authority, um, good authorities, you know, is Mm -hmm. not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rebelling against, you know, some negative authorities might be good at certain times.
1: Perhaps like a totalitarian dictator of a Central Asian country?
0: (laughs) Potentially. Which is... I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's like this isn't trying to replace Scripture with here's what to do in these situations, right? Because that's where you're, you know, and that's why this sort of vocational coaching process includes human-on-human insight and counsel and listening to the Holy Spirit and prayer and Scripture and all the, you know, it's not like, oh, here's a disc report. Now you know what to do next, you know.
1: That's good. Kimberly, what would you say to the folks who... You know, there there are a lot of folks who can be like Myers Briggs, Strengths Finder, TTI. Uh, they can be like, that's not really who you are.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: they can be exasperated by anagram, yeah. these assessments, and treat them as if they're not of any value mm-hmm. because they're not like it's not in the appendix of the Bible or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, what the Bible would you has say an to appendix. Them? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well. I think
2: it, it's it's that the response to that then is that I mean, like. Like everything we have is because of God and God has enabled people to have like the knowledge and the skills and the ability to create these assessments and to, you know, put a lot of research and science behind them. And so it's a tool, I think, kind of like Lauren was saying, that as believers, we're not to use just on its own and and throw out the Bible, right, and throw out God's teachings that can really help us have a better understanding of who we are and how God created us. Yeah. And I think like even with the question you were asking about some of those like characteristics that can seem bad or those behaviors. Um, it's like like so many things that can be like good or bad. And like how are we like using these things for the good of ourselves, for the good of our neighbor, to serve others. Yeah. And it just gives us deeper insight into how we've been created.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah yeah you know what as you were saying that something popped into my mind. I was thinking about Adam and Eve, yeah, and the commission to like name the animals, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's part of this commission to to name what God has created mm-hmm. and to identify the essence of that thing, mm-hmm. and it just seems like that's part of what the human vocation is mm-hmm. is to like identify yeah. the the patterns that God has baked into the world that you see over and over right. again. In life, Lauren, why don't we move to driving forces? Explain sure. what that assessment is, what it's trying to do.
0: Yep. So if you picture an iceberg, you know we all kind of know, right? Like the part of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic was not the part that was above the water, mm-hmm. right? The the things bigger beneath the surface, mm-hmm. right? So behaviors are the part of the iceberg. If if you're talking about a person that is above the surface that you can see, they're observable. As we go beneath the surface, one of the first things that we look at is not only how they're behaving but why they're taking action in the first place. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And that's driving forces. So driving forces is underneath the surface. Um, a lot of these things, when you sort of read the results of your disk report, you'll go, oh yeah, that's totally me. Pretty mm-hmm. quick, right away, um, sort of face validity, sometimes we call it. Driving force is a little different. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer for people to understand the words, to understand the the ideas behind them, because they're not even necessarily aware of why they're doing things themselves. So it can be really helpful to give yourself insight about who you are and why you do what you do. And then same thing with the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Why are they doing this? Um, we find that when behaviors are out of alignment one person to another, it can create some conflict. Um, but you can pretty easily recognize that and adapt your communication style to them and make some of those conflicts go away. Hmm. pretty pretty you know relatively easy stuff driving forces when you have these things that are distinct from one another can create the kind of conflict on teams that ultimately result in people leaving and not being able to figure out how to make it work because they're just so at odds with one another Hmm. Um, so it can be a little bit more intense in the workplace driving forces are the things that lead to um, i don't know if you've ever noticed but some things that you enjoy doing that you that are work right they're tasks other people might look at that and say I hate doing those things. Mm. You enjoy doing those things. You Mm -hmm. do them without thinking about them. And it might even feel like you lose track of time, like almost like you're playing, Mm. right? Some people might build something with Legos with their kids and hate it, right? This Mm -hmm. is like, I am putting a lot of effort into having quality time with my son playing Legos. Somebody else might be like, I wait till my kids go to bed and I play with Legos because (laughs) it's fun, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, different things, um, that's driving forces, Okay, so it creates this intrinsic reward when you do something. Um, and so when your driving forces are engaged at work, that leads to job satisfaction and engagement in the work. And you lose track of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they are based on this uh, theory that came out also in the early 20th century by a guy named Edward Spranger, who identified six motivators. Um, so mm. uh, since then, they've kind of been renamed knowledge, utility surroundings others power and methodologies Mm -hmm. and then each one of those is there's two ends of a spectrum so as it relates to those six things am i more motivated by one end of it or the other which creates 12 driving forces
1: yeah okay so would you give us maybe kimberly you could give us an example of one of your driving forces and how it plays out
2: yeah so uh, I think okay, I'm gonna have to ask a question. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to add edit well, so when you look when you're looking at driving forces, so there's like the driving forces graph, but then there's also like the like all of these driving forces. Yep. So when you're talking about them specifically, is it
0: Yeah, so she's she's looking uh in the middle yeah. of her report and um there's three pages where it outlines basically those twelve driving forces get laid out into three sections. Your top four, yeah. which are your primary. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones that are at play most of the time. The middle four, which is, well, and there's sometimes there's more than four, but generally speaking, there's four and they'll be situational. So they'll drive you, your behavior sometimes and not at others. And then the indifferent four or the bottom four, which you can either be indifferent to, or when it's really intense and strong, uh, you can, it can actually repel you. Mm. Um, so that's where you, when you see someone's really high on one end and then mm. someone else you're with is high on the other end, It'll have a hard time working together effectively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So go. Ahead. I don't know if that helps a little yeah. bit. So if you if you scroll up to the page that lists your top four primary, right.
2: Yeah. So I think for me, um, like with the driving forces, um, my higher ones make sense to me. Like it's definitely um, it feels like how I operate, and a lot of times like what motivates me. But I think that probably at a certain point in time, like I I didn't have like the self awareness to recognize that. So for me, like. My highest one is um altruistic mm-hmm. and then um selfless and so a lot of it around like people and I mean my thing is always that like I love people, I love time with people mm-hmm. and um and I think for so long having worked kind of in the social work realm and now work working or uh, moving into pastoral work, so much of it has been about like caring for people and that to me is um and just like understanding people and that to me is like my highest motivator yeah Um so many other things are like totally not motivating to me and won't and don't. And like, I'm not excited to get up in the morning right and do them, but it involves people and like relationship. Um, that is for sure what keeps me going.
1: So what, what would be like one of your bottom ones?
2: Yeah. So one of my bottom ones, or like my bottom two are commanding. So people who are driven by status, recognition and control over personal freedom. And then um, intentional, people who are driven to assist others for a specific purpose, not just for the sake of being helpful or supportive. So kind of like
3: opposites. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I could see how this would be really helpful Mm -hmm. because someone could be trying to draw you into uh, a a task and really focusing on the status and achievement that would come from it. And that just, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a great example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and the, one thing to remember is um so each one relates to a specific area, right? So as as it relates to others, we all are motivated one way or the other. Yeah. Right? Um Kimberly is very highly related to helping all kinds of people for any reason. Um, whereas the other end of that spectrum is more focused. So one thing is helpful sometimes, not not so helpful other times, but if you picture a garden hose, mm. um, one end of every driving force continuum is very focused, like the jet stream on the garden hose, mm. right? So if you um, think of helping others, right? So that's the continuum we're talking about. Mm. Um, and then the other other uh, one is more like the shower spray. Yeah. So a lot of water, yeah. right, sort of goes and gets a lot of things. drenched, yeah. Right. Altruistic is more like the shower spray as it relates to helping others. Mm -hmm. And intentional is more like the jet spray. So if you say to somebody, and I'm assuming this will kind of irk you, but how do you feel about Mm -hmm. the words like um, disqualify somebody from getting the help that they need or exclude somebody from having access to the help that they need? Someone who's intentional, like they may be more okay Mm -hmm. helping particular people for a specific reason. Um, And so you think about the kind of person who's really willing to help their child get into college Mm -hmm. by paying for school (laughs) versus somebody who's just sort of creating a scholarship for anybody, Mm -hmm. helping all kinds of people. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So why don't you uh, tell us about competencies? What's being measured there? What's that one all about?
0: Yeah. So uh, DISC and driving forces, when you look at those two things together, Mm -hmm. um, you've got the how I do what I do and why I'm doing it. And that's the neutral one. Mm -hmm. Those two things are both neutral. That's that's similar to talking about our um, our enneagram style or our Myers Briggs or things like that, where we sort of go, "Hey, you're like this, and I'm like this, and we're different, but you know, that's great. We're glad we've got diversity. We're all different. We're all uh, we're all good. We also want to measure what we're good at, and so this is soft skills. So this is not uh, a hard skill like changing the oil on mm-hmm. my car or mm-hmm. juggling, juggling, or." Uh, <laughs> Cleaning teeth mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. performing surgery, right? Those are hard skills. These are soft skills um, and they're things that everybody has, personal skills, things like appreciating others, interpersonal skills, making decisions, managing projects, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Employee coaching and development. And so what we do is you actually want to be as developed as possible in mm-hmm. these skills. So it's still measured on a scale zero to 100 and closer to 100 is better. Mm -hmm. right so this is not the kind of thing where you're looking at it going oh i just happen to be really low in interpersonal skills and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know you go no it it would be better you know if i'm a 10 at interpersonal skills it would be better to be a 70 at interpersonal skills the question is you can't be good at everything so you're Mm -hmm. not going to be highly developed at, at everything and so in your list of 25 soft skills that get rank ordered after you take the answer the questions Uh, We usually talk about the top seven. Which ones do you want in your top seven and why? Hmm. Because my job requires it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be better at the job. And so I want certain skills up there. That's when you start to be concerned that, oh, I'm I'm in charge of a division of 500 people. And my leadership skill is down at 22 out of 25. Mm -hmm. I might want to increase my leadership skill. Hmm. By following some of the recommendations that are in the report, getting a coach to help me improve those things, putting specific effort into in improving that skill and then remeasuring six months from now, 12 months from now um, and saying, oh, I've seen growth in this skill that I've been putting effort towards developing. Mm-hmm.
1: Makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Kimberly, as you look at the the competencies mm-hmm. there, um, how has that been helpful to you?
2: Yeah, so I one of the things definitely is the the leadership piece. I think some of what I learned around that and, and the type of leader that I am came from looking through some of the competencies. And then um, I think with that in the like, especially stepping into new roles, um, like seeing where I was strong at that point in time was helpful. But then the areas that I could like move into and improve on, in a sense, kind of like Lauren was saying, like working on that, adapting a little bit. So, um, for example, like my first several, I feel, um, like apply well to a lot of what I'm doing, but then even like flexibility is like a little lower are, you know, not in my top like six or seven. And that's something that I think like in general mm-hmm. is something that I could work on huh. is being more flexible and would be helpful like in work and family and relationships in so many areas. And I think even it's like, well, yeah, the reminder that like, that is something that, that with these like. Taking an assessment like this doesn't mean that these things are all like completely set in stone and none of it can change. I think mm-hmm. is encouraging too. And like how can you work to build upon that and strengthen ourselves? Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest one that that I've been trying to focus on is, is working more and, and
0: being more flexible in general. It's a really good example. And um you know, if you think about how these things play off of each other. Mm-hmm. So now I've got my behavioral tendency, yeah. Um, which may be you know, if you imagine somebody who's um, who you want to be around, you know, mm-hmm. who's really friendly and, and warm behaviorally, that's going to be a high I, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you also, let's say that you're in a role and you're a low I, uh, you're a real high C, and I tend to want to operate with things more than people, mm-hmm. be analytical, um, look at data, things like that. But there's an element of the role where I'm going to be interacting with people and I need to be friendly, right? Mm-hmm. So my boss comes to me and says, it's important that you be friendly, right? Mm-hmm. You need to develop the skill, yeah. even though it's not part of your natural style of how you like to behave, you need to develop interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you've got this skill level that you can grow. Well, I'm a, I'm a re- relatively low I. Hmm. One part of the feedback that I hear from people is they don't experience me that way. Mm-hmm. They say, well, no, you're, you know, you're, we like being around you, you're friendly, you know, whatever. Um, well, if you look at my skills, interpersonal skills is up towards the top, even though my eye is relatively low. So, somebody you can mm-hmm. say, Oh, I want to learn to make eye contact with people, to give them a, a strong handshake, yeah. to ask them questions about how they're doing. You can develop those skills, but it's just like if you're talking to your child at school. And they're really good at math, but they're not so good at writing. And you say, you need to be good at both of these things, Mm -hmm. math's gonna come more naturally and you're gonna have to focus harder to grow at writing. But you have to be good at both things. They're important for your development. I don't
3: know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally.
1: Well, I will say that sitting down with Lauren, having him walk through this forty-eight page report on driving forces like our motivations and behaviors and competencies. Has been really helpful to me. It's been helpful to our team, and it is a part of what we have for our uh, career coaching process uh, for faith, work, and rest. If you're interested in that, we're going to be making it available to everyone in uh, June, June 15th. That's that's the goal. Uh, reach out to us beforehand so we can get you on a waiting list, get you scheduled uh, to meet with you. Uh, this process, the ultimate aim of this process, is that you would walk out. The other side of it with a vocation plan where you have a real sense of how God has made you, the good works He's made you for, um, how to look at the most difficult, seemingly mundane aspects of your work and have them invigorated with meaning in light of the biblical story, and to have rich rhythms of rest. So, for these last few podcasts that we're going to do before we take a break, uh, we're going to be focusing on coaching and what this coaching process is about, and we got a big chunk of it today with uh, these TTI assessments. So we look forward to connecting with you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Before we sign off, we wanted to let you know that we would really appreciate any feedback you have for us. In particular, it would really help us out if you left a comment and gave a rating on iTunes. It will help us get the word out, A five-star rating would be awesome, but we appreciate honesty. Also, if you are seeking some clarity about your work and calling, we would love to connect with you and help provide some career coaching. You can find out more about the career coaching at faithworkrest.com. Until next time, we pray that God would help you discern your vocation, reimagine every aspect of your occupation, and give you rich, life-giving rhythms of rest. We pray that your work would glorify God and seek the good of your neighbor. See you next week.